0: hey, it's Maurice. Before we get started with this week's episode, I just want to thank you so much for listening to and supporting Revision Path. It really means a lot. As we approach our milestone 300th episode, we want to learn more about you. Please take our audience survey at revisionpath.com forward slash survey. It should take about five minutes to complete, and it will really help us out a lot for future episodes, future guests, events, and a lot more. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash survey. We'll also put a link in the show notes of this episode. Thank you. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Marius Cherry, and listen, we are a little over a month away from hitting the big 300. That's 300 episodes. Now, we've been around for a little over six years. We just celebrated our sixth anniversary back in February. And let me tell you, hitting 300 episodes is a huge milestone in the podcasting game. I mean, there's very few shows out there that can say they have that many episodes. But I've got a question for you. Who think we should have as a guest in the future who would you like for us to interview we've already had some pretty amazing folks on the show and i know that there's plenty more great designers out there we can talk to so hit us up on twitter that's at revision and let us know now let's get into this week's interview this week i'm talking with abraham asafal co-founder of the pop-up agency based in london england let's start the show all right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My
1: name is Abraham Abi Asifo. Um I am the founder of a company called The Pop-Up Agency. It's basically a creative agency that is known for solving briefs in 48 hours. So that's what we're known for, our agile creative process. For the last seven years, um, we worked in over 55 countries, uh, worked with everything from brands to governments to agencies to NGOs, you name it. Um, so yeah, that's me and that's us.
0: So I'm curious about this solving briefs in 48 hours. Cause first of all, when people go to the website for the pop-up agency, that's the first thing they see is they scroll down the, in, down the page in huge red letters. We solve briefs in 48 hours. Now I've, I've ran a studio too. I ran a studio for nine years. So I have to ask like, how, Sway? How do you do it in 48 hours? What is, what's that approach like?
1: There's obviously. I mean, the story goes as following. So, like, the way we solve it, first and foremost, the way we solve for in 48 Hours is that at the end of the day, what it is, it is focus. It's focus, it's having all the stakeholders in the room, clear, sort of brief, and then it's just about having this clear structure and then, and then keeping people, uh, getting people aligned, uh, and, and voila you solve the reason for your hours. But if I take a step back and I try to explain to you like why we choose to work that way. So seven years ago, I, I, started, I mean, so my background actually is in law and politics, but then I studied one year design lead and um, to so a postmaster in Sweden at a school called Hyper Island. And two weeks into this program, so the, just to, to give you this understanding, half of the class were Scandinavian students and half of them were international students. And you, the requirement was you needed... Some some and a bachelor and and some work experience to go. So everybody has some kind of experience. Really quickly, when I you know started this program, I realized there's a lot of smart people here. So how do I how do I create a side project that allows me to work with as many people as possible? So basically, with that in mind, I came up with the idea of a pop up agency. Um, and I just picked the five people that at that point, two weeks into the program, I was sort of vibing with and explained the idea and then from there on we basically sort of boiled down our needs and values and then and, and created it. And so just to give you an example, it was just like wanting to work shorter projects, wanting to work globally, wanting to constantly evolve and learn thus from those roles in my company and so on and so on. And that's how we came about. And then, if you if you're wondering why the 48 hours, so the reason why it became 48 hours and not 72 hours, or any else, um, you know, time frame was because at that point we were students, we were very busy, and the only time we actually had to execute something was during the weekends. Mm. Thus, thus the 48 hours. And and you ask, what do you deliver after 48 hours? The deliverable was an idea, a concept um so, so yeah so that's the story and that's why you know we saw this in 48 hours so that so that that and then to continue that it's like that that first student year you know the objective was to sort of prototype this concept if it's like does this actually work is there's a need for this and secondly launch it so what we did was First and foremost, sort of like articulated and cropped, what is it, you know? So we all were clear about that. Secondly, it was about a cool, how do we prototype and launch this? We came up with this idea of sort of a pop-up tour, 15 weeks, 15 clients, 15 countries. That was the way we sort of, were gonna sort of launch it and prototype it. But before that we had like even earlier prototyping. Um, And then just to fast forward. So we did that, that first year as students, and we did 26 jobs in 16 countries. Wow. And then graduated and then moved to London and set it up. And the reason why we chose London, I mean, now I'm, I'm jumping ahead here, you know, was between being in New York and in London. And for us, it was very important to be a global business. And it just made just sense to be in London because time zone, language, um, it just it just made sense to to be in London. Um, New York, which is too far away from everything else.
0: Mm-hmm
1: even if we had majority of our clients in the U.S., so we just chose to be in London, so yeah.
0: Now, do you approach every project for the pop-up agency like this in that same kind of 48-hour time span?
1: We, the principles, yes, some, but some project requires more than 48 hours. The majority of our our, our projects are the 48 hours. So obviously, we've evolved from, from that. That's how sort of how we started, and that's what put us on the map. But at the end of the day, what we also realized, so the core proposition and what we were really good at was our agile creative process, and we use that to sort of go in and help clients and solve problems, but we also use that to go in and, and, and sort of train an organization and how to become more agile and creative. Um, um, so yeah, so yeah, but, but to your answer to, to your question, yeah, majority of our jobs are still the 40 hours. so That's what they prefer, but some, some require uh, a bit longer. OK, what then happened is like you have like multiple 48 hours that so becomes um, multiple iterations of that of that piece of a project.
0: So what is a regular day like for you? If that even exists, I can only imagine uh, just from looking at your website, you have this extensive travel schedule like this year. It's Paris. It's Davos, Stockholm, Berlin, Moscow, Nairobi, New York, D.C. What what is a regular day like with all of the being in all these different cities at, at you know, sometime during the year?
1: I mean, I think it's like, it, I have sort of two, this is two gears for me or my team. It is we're in London at our uh, offices, uh, and, and conducting daily work. And that could be catching up with the admin and mail and whatnot, uh, sort of the development in terms of sort of products and services that we're creating, uh, and then just catching up internally with the team. But then the other side is, we're on site working on a project together with our clients. So there's, there's, like these two different sort of like I'm either in London together with my team and working on internal things, or I'm on, or I'm away, on site working with a client. And the, so then going back, the reason why we travel so much is regardless if we're going in and solving a problem or we going in and sort of training an organization to become more agile and creative, we always have to be on site. That's the only way we could sort of accelerate things. Mm-hmm. So don't get me wrong, we live in a you know, time where 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 everybody's pro remote uh, work lifestyle. Um and you know, kudos to that. But for us to do what we do, we, we're we see it as like, you know, digital is a great it's a great tool, but at the end of the day to, to, to really make things happen and accelerate, we need to be on site and have every all of the stakeholders in the room and that's the way we sort of accelerate things.
0: Yeah. I have to imagine your your uh discovery and intake process is probably pretty stringent in order to find the types of clients that will allow you to work in that way, right?
1: No, it is. And I think it's also, it's, it's, the, it's, it's something that has taken time to understand and learn how to do it. Because, like, because, because uh, now we include the clients in the process. In the beginning, we didn't do that. We came in sort of like as a parachuted in as a sort of a SWAT team and got the sort of challenge and got a space within the company and then started working on it. And then voila. After the 48 hours, here was the solution. But we found some challenges with that. We realized, um, for example, you know, there's uh, one thing is coming up with a solution, but then another thing is, especially in our case, when we work with such a large organization, mm-hmm. there's a lot of politics. So one thing is us coming up with a solution, but then, then there's the, another journey that uh, the idea has to go through and have a co-sign from a lot of people before actually it could see daylight. And also that, you know, our, our part is the sort of, ideation phase, we come up, we help them come up with ideas and align people. So we are not a part of the implementation. So then it's even more important that the client have that clear ownership and understanding of ideas. So we had to involve them in the process. And what I'm coming to now is like that took time also to understand how to sort of navigate and how to sort of facilitate that sessions, those, those sort of interactions, because. You're coming in there as external, and you're there to help them and provide a solution. But then you're also at the same time trying to sort of facilitate and navigate this, the people that are in the room.
0: So yeah, I would imagine that's interesting. You're you're coming in, you're giving these ideas, but you're not involved in the implementation. You're basically uh, making sure the client is ready to implement what you all have already suggested.
1: Exactly. So that's why you. And you know, when we go in and do these projects, we always have all the stakeholders. So that means. The ones that the the decision makers, the ones that are going to build it. Everybody is in that room together. So when we leave, everybody is have that ownership and that clear understanding what the idea is and how we're going to go about to sort of implement it. So like in the beginning, and this is sort of obviously it's inevitable evolution, change. Uh, we started as purely sort of like as a creative agency, and in the sense of like we were, we came in there, we just. We came up with these solutions and great ideas for, for our clients. But as we were, you know, running our own business, our, our, our interest and in, in, in understanding for business and strategy grew. So that is also applied in the solutions today, you know. So that's why, you know, in the beginning, we would walk into the creative and the marketing departments and work with them. Um, but now we, uh, we still do to some degree, but majority of our time also now we go in much more often to, um, the board, the the founder and CEO mm-hmm. level and and and, uh, and, uh, and work with them. And that's also why, you know, in, in the beginning of our journey, you could see us as a purely creative agency. Today, you could look at us and it's a sort of, it's a hybrid between a creative agency and a management consultancy.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It kind of sounds like that hybrid.
1: Because at the end of the day, our, our skill set is more geared towards the soft skills, not the hard skills in the sense of like, it's, it's, it's much more on the thinking side of things, not so much on actually build physically building it.
0: So, with the clients that you have that are all over the world, I'm curious. One, what are the best types of clients for you? I guess in terms of the the type of work they do, and two, have you found that international clients, and I'm assuming clients that are in Europe or Asia or wherever or Africa, are they easier to work with than clients in the U.S.?
1: I think like this is gonna sound, but like I think. Our ideal client is all our clients and what I mean with that is like when you co sign to the way you're gonna work with us because we're we're not your average agency. Oh and don't get me wrong, I have nothing against anybody else. But what I mean is like you need to you need to commit, not mm-hmm. just time and resources when you work with us. There's a there's a lot of things that you have to sort of okay, cool. I to, in order to have this an accelerated process I need to agree to this because this is the way it's going to work. So, we, like in the beginning, we were we were much more open, and we 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 worked with a lot of type of clients. But you know, we realized that this doesn't work. We, like, there's a certain type of client that needs this, and they they need to be of a certain mindset to to actually make this work and see the value of what we do. So, so we have this like rigorous process of like. That they need to sort of like, we need to do our research, but then also they have to co-sign before entering with us. So that's a long answer for saying that, you know, the clients that we work with, we're happy with them. They are our ideal clients. Um, and that again, by, by doing that rigorous process, also that is also assuring that we have the type, right the type of client that actually needs our value, but then also are willing to come back because they see the value and they need this. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Because they, they're all clients out there that need it, but they're not willing to, you know, commit yeah. to what comes with the, the subsidiary process.
0: Yeah. I would imagine so. some clients, you know, they – and the reason that I asked about – and I still kind of want to know the answer to this in terms of the difference between international and, like, clients in the U.S. is that sometimes clients just want you to come in and just do the work. They're throwing money at the problem, and they don't really want to get involved with it. They just need it done. And it sounds like because of the process that you all have built with the pop-up agency, that's not how y'all work. Yeah.
1: And especially what what we're trying to solve. You know, yeah. the, it, you can't do that. Like, it's so, it, it's you know, it's so complex and big things that's going to affect the business. You need to have everybody involved. You can't just outsource that. And I understand some things you, yeah, sure, outsource that. I understand you can do it. but. The the types of sort of work that we do, you you need to have everybody. You can't just outsource that. So you need to have them committed in the room, uh, and and we need to keep them accountable for it. And and in terms of your second question, uh I think uh that's something that's so interesting. So for example, so you know, I think my background has helped me a lot, and and uh, some of my team members also. But it's like, I grew up in a very very. Di- I mean, like. I lived in four countries, you know. At, after this, uh, I think yeah, I lived, I lived in four countries, and I've lived in three countries. But at the age of seven, so I've always had a diverse surrounding around me all the time. So mm-hmm. I didn't really realize that was sort of an asset in itself to understand how to navigate through different cultures. But that's basic what I do on a daily, daily, on a daily basis with my business because I'm constantly working with people from different cultures, and obviously you have to take that in consideration because you, you know this this. Yeah, it's just like it was nothing. Something that I thought about as I was starting the business, but it's definitely something very important. That yeah. you know, it's just like you can't do business the same way in every nation, in every country. You can't do that. Like it's, it's done differently, and you have to sort of respect that and and uh, and work around that. So uh, I definitely see that on a daily basis. And there's definitely there's definitely differences. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. There's no, no doubt. And it took me a minute to realize that to really see it because yeah there's a, there's a lot of impressions to digest, but but yeah there's this massive culture differences in terms of working there's a difference between just just being within Europe, there's differences obviously yeah even if it's um there's a difference being in North America and then there's a difference between uh, being in africa and 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 Asia and different parts of Asia so yeah,
0: so you mentioned you know growing up in these different countries as a child, so I'm curious to know, was creativity a big part of your childhood?
1: I would say no, it was definitely not. Um, so, no, it was not. I mean, my mom were, uh, and my my dad for that matter, you know, like they were very keen, like many, you know, Im- you know, immigrant or uneducated parents, just like, obviously we moved to the West just for us to have a better future. But, you know, for them, it was traditional sort of, um, um, working titles as as, as a doctor, teacher, mm-hmm. uh, lawyer, that, or engineer. Those were the sort of, Things they were sort of pushing us and encouraging us to do. So creativity was just definitely, definitely not existing. And, and my, you know, as growing up, no, there was never present at all.
0: Do you remember what it was like going from country to country like that as a child?
1: And I have vague memories. So, mm-hmm. like, just to give you an understanding. So I, I'm, I'm born. Um, so I have a heritage in Eritrea. That's where I'm from. Uh, I was born in Saudi Arabia. Um, and then I moved at the age of four to Europe I moved to France first and foremost and was there for roughly a year and then we continued further to Germany I was there for two years and then eventually ended up in Sweden and that's like where I spent the majority of my childhood or where I grew up Um so I have like vague memory of moving around a lot and even even within Sweden we moved I think like three or four times before we settled in, in a small town mm-hmm. Um and that's you know uh, so there's a lot of that, like the first sort of 10 years of my life was a lot of moving around, um, with my mom and my younger brothers. My dad, yeah. uh, stayed.
0: And, and as you told me before we started recording, there's actually a pretty, uh, big Eritrean population in Sweden.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a definitely, it's a big community. It's like, uh, so you have like East African, like of the African nations. East Africa is the biggest representation in, in, in Sweden and Somalian being number one. And then I think I would say Eritreans are number two. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, without the double check, without having the facts in front of me, but I would say like Eritrean community outside of Eritrea would be, and not, not in that order, but like US, Germany, Italy, Sweden are the probably where you find most Eritreans
0: what draws them there i'm curious
1: i mean i assume it is that other routines are there i mean <laughs> i i just i don't know. i mean i think that, i no, mean that's, like, that's my real mom, talk
0: that's real talk you I, want to go I, where other I people like so. you are there
1: yeah i mean like the same things with westerners like they and they call it not immigrants but they call it they call it called uh, the expats mm-hmm. they just they've i mean I, I just was in ghana now like i saw parts of ghana where i just saw you know British and French and you know and it's just we all do that yeah so I think and I think I think especially when we did that move from Germany to Sweden it was word to mouth mm. like my mom had friends and family members that oh maybe more friends and family members that wasn't Sweden they 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 were liking it and and they thought it was good ended up there
0: that makes sense <laughs> so you studied political science and law when did you know that I guess going into the sort of creative agency work was what you wanted to do for a living. When did that shift happen?
1: I think it was when I came to, I started studying at uni and I definitely was sort of, I was, I was, I was living in a very uh, isolated area in Sweden, sort of in the sense of like, it was, was just immigrants, working class immigrants. When I came to uni, my whole world like was just sort of disrupted in terms of like the types of people that I was surrounded with. They were from different classes of, of the of the of Sweden, but then also they were international students. So that sort of opened up a whole new world for me. And 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 what happened was instead of like being resistant to that and like being defensive, I was just I was embracing it, I was taking it in. Um and, and uh slowly and slowly I was, you know, taking that side in but the, I think the pivotal moment was I have a younger brother who's five years younger than me, Madhane. Mm -hmm. he came to I think I was around probably I was 27 I was was almost finishing up political science and my law degree and he came to me he's like listen I don't think this is for you I don't think this is for you Mm. I think you should venture out to the creative industry and by then during my uni year so like five years into my uni I was doing bits of sort of things on the side I was sort of I was a DJ and I created my first company, but I definitely, I never saw that as a sort of like, this is going to be my nine to five. This is what I'm, this is going to be my, my job moving forward. I've never saw that. I just thought like, okay, this is a hobby. and I'm just doing things here. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm working with music. I'm I'm, I'm working with clients in my, in my new company. I'm working with publishing a bit with that. I was just experimenting. I had no sort of direction. I was just doing things. Then mm-hmm. yeah, my brother told me, you know, so I thought, I mean, you you should rethink this. And that's when I uh, took a break from that and, and studied one year, uh, design lead. And I just, and even when I came into that, I'll, I'll be honest, I still remember like the first week I was studying this postmaster program design lead, I was just so nervous because all of the people around me, they had experience in this field, sort of, they were like, they, they studied creative, they worked in the creative industry uh, I felt a bit of a fraud when I came in there, like the first mm. two weeks I was, I like, let's say first one and a half weeks.
0: This was, was hyper was, Island. Hyper Island. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, uh, I, I was just, I was just super reserved, but then somehow I just came to the sort of like realization. I'm here for myself. I can't compare myself to these people in this room. I got to focus on my set or what I'm strong at and just take what I want from here and then just get out of here. Um, yeah, but and then just from there on, I just unapologetically with myself um, and just went with it.
0: It sounds like Hyper Island was really sort of the, like the nexus point for you in your career.
1: I think like, I think I've, yes and no. I would say like, I definitely believe like my first company that I ran, because I ran that, like not considering, not seeing it to be my future. I ran that for six years as I was in uni. And my brother, that was what was pivotal. And then what Hyper did was sort of give me more, sort of, the language, the tools, and mm. sort of that more understanding. Because I mean, up until then, I was sort of reinventing the wheel. It's like I had, yeah. I did not know what I was doing. I was just doing things on the fly and I was learning. But then I was like, I went into school and just like, I learned more. And all of a sudden, I took that raw, all that, you know. I took this sort of energy that I had and then all of a sudden now I had knowledge and, and I could navigate much faster through the industry. And I think like, even like, I think that's been a benefit running my business. Is just like, I, I was not, I didn't have that much baggage. I came in very naive. I didn't mm. know a lot of the things. That's why I just, okay, let's do it like this. Let's run the business like this. I think that helped a lot. Had I Had I understood more, like the Where I am today, I think I would have been much more conservative. I don't think I would have dared to come up with the idea that I did back then.
0: I like that idea of coming in with a, uh, with no baggage, um, into a sort of design or education, sort of like a design education track. And the reason I'm I'm saying that is because certainly there's more than one way to be a designer. There's more than one way to be a designer in this industry. You don't necessarily have to go the route of, you know, art school undergrad and then intern, apprenticeship somewhere, and then working at some big company. And sometimes that, even though it sounds like that's the ideal track, what that ends up doing, like you said, is it gives you baggage when you go into other sorts of design things because you're pulling from this past history of what you think it's supposed to be or or how you may have experienced it before. And it it can hinder you. And it sounds like the fact that you came in without that was really a benefit.
1: Listen, it's mad. I went to that. I went. I studied that for one year. Mm-hmm. I did not even design a keynote. Wow! <laughs> I don't even know how they like they they gave me the the. the I mean, I know why they did it. Like, uh, yeah. they gave me. Uh, I still passed, but I just like I just realized my skill set was on the soft side, not the hard side. So like, I have soft skills, not hard skills. So I just like I just went with it. I was like, I was not even trying to learn a bit of the hard skills. I was like, you know what? I am twenty eight. I know what I'm good at. I'm gonna mm-hmm. focus on that. And I'm not going to, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in designing and coding. I'm not. So I'm like, let's focus on what I'm good at. Like, I I, have a strong drive. Um, I'm very vision driven. I'm good at leading people. So it's like, I just focus on that, what I was good at.
0: Who or what are some of your influences?
1: I would say my mother, my family, my culture, 100%. Because I think like, You know, like up until then, up until sort of like, and this is also one of the main reasons I entered the creative industry. You know, like I, I'm studying law and politics, major, mainly for my parents' sake, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, and with that comes, there's a sort of, you're, you're you're molded into a box. You sort of, you dress and talk in a certain way. What I felt like when I was entering the creative industry was here's a place where diverse thinking being different is valued i was like yo this is the place where i should be because my sort of like complex you know identity in terms of like being from somewhere else but grew up here like i'm allowed to bring all sides in of me here and i that that was like yeah of course this is here this is where i should be i do not know how i'm going to make a living by being in this place but this is what i should be because i'm allowed to be myself here and, and then that's, then that ties back into sort of like why I think like the big, the greatest inspirations are still at the end of the day. It is my family. It is my culture that I think to a certain degree was a bit suppressed being another, another culture,
2: mm-hmm.
1: working in an industry that, that's, that just wants you to be a robot, you know, like law and politics. Like it's just, so stepping into the creative industry was uh was a liberating feeling and and I think that's why I just, no, this is where I should, this is where I belong.
0: I'm allowed to be myself here. That's that's powerful. That's a powerful thing to say.
1: Yeah, and I and I can and I think like that's still at the end of the day what I love and appreciate more. I still there's that said obviously there's much more work to be done in the industry because we might say we we value diverse thinking and whatnot, but at the end of the day it doesn't reflect that. But yeah, mm-hmm. we're working on that side things but but that's why i'm in it and i'm still in it and i did that sort of pivot and i, I you know bless my brother for for you know giving me that sort of reality check and and, and making me iterate in terms of where i should uh, put my energy and focus
0: do you feel satisfied creatively
1: uh yes and no like uh yes in the sense of like in the space that i am but i'm like i'm always sort of I, I, that's a struggle that I have I to, to enjoy what I'm doing right here, right now. Cause I'm always already like, on am thinking on the second and third step ahead. Like, okay. So even like, I remember, I even remember like the first year, there was so much thing that happened, you know, I was in 26, co- sorry, 16 countries, the 26 jobs, uh, we were having coverage all over the place, you know, in terms of our, 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 our company, mm-hmm. but I was like, looking back at it, I was not present. There's so yeah. much things going on, and, and that's something I'm trying to work on with myself. Like try to be more present and enjoy what's going on, but also at the same time still look look forward. Yeah, um,
0: I know that feeling all too well because sometimes I think uh, with creative types, we're so focused on the future. It's just by the time other people have caught up to what we've already done, we're over it. Like <laughs> it's it's in the past, you know. It can and it can be sometimes a struggle to try to relish it, I think, as it happens. You know what I mean? So I I get what you mean about that struggle is enjoying it. Like being present in the moment is tough because you're so focused on like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? I mean, I can give, you know, just Revision Path as an example. Like we're doing the show, we're recording and everything. I'm already thinking, you know, our 300th episode is coming up. Our 325th episode, I think, is going to be like later on in the year. Like I'm thinking, what do we do to get to year seven, because now this is year six. Like, what do we do to get to year seven and to level up and to keep the conversation going? Because in terms of design podcasts, like we're one of the longest running ones. There's like design matters. There's adventures in design. There's us. <laughs> and, and the fact that we're so focused on a particular niche of, and even to call it a niche, I feel like is, is, uh, doing it a disservice, but we're focused on talking to black designers and creatives this is something that hasn't been done for this long um continually at a part i'd say at a point where people are really visibly seeing it um so i'm always thinking like what's the next thing i have to do i'm never really thinking about right now like last year we got a bunch of awards and stuff like that and it was great but i'm thinking like what do we do when we get to 300 you know, which would happen the next year. So I'm already like, I, I get what you're saying. Is what I'm I'm trying to say.
1: Uh, but you know, that said, listen, kudos, respect for the work that you've you've done. It's like that's really impressive. 300 episodes. That's hats off.
0: Thank you. What what kind of dream project do you have that you want to do one day?
1: <sighs> um, I don't know if I should put it out there, but
0: <laughs> I... <laughs> well, you can put out as much as you're comfortable with
1: like i i'm 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 always big picture so i have i have uh i have this idea of like being involved on the sort of nation level to sort of how do you or how do we sort of stimulate in some cases about stimulating creative economies and in some cases about kickstarting creative economies um so and and that for me is more geared to working that towards the continent. Uh going back to Africa and working. Uh that's why i try to be there more and more often um for the last couple of years to try to sort mm-hmm. of figure out like understand how do I add value and how could I contribute and, and, and plant seeds here. Um and but yeah, but yeah, that's that's a dream project that I would have like it's like how could do something on that, on that level. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm come back, see me in five years. I'll, I'll have a, probably a couple of more companies under my belt, but, and I'll keep, you know, building businesses, focus on change and purpose driven business always. But I would want, I have this dream idea of like, how could I be on a, involved on in a national level? That's That's also why, you know, like you mentioned Davos um in, in our in our sort of schedule and mm-hmm. for the ones who don't know davos to why why i i davos is on schedule uh for this year is that we were at the world Economic forum and that's the second time we've been wow. and again it is it, it is like you won't probably see that many creative agencies at the davos and again this is i think it connects to sort of like you know um, yeah, we're known for our agile process, uh, but also our message that you know that we believe that everyone is creative, and we want to sort of use creativity as sort of vehicle for change, and 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 human progress. Um So so yeah, so that's again the thing is at the end of the day, the business is a reflection of us as founders. But you know, I also realize sometimes I, I cram in a lot of uh, me and my founder, sort of all of our all values in our business. But at the same time, I also realize maybe sometimes uh, maybe I need to do that some things outside of my business, or so that is uh, especially in this uh, uh I'm talking about this dream project of sort of working on a on a national level and then maybe in a continent level sort of how do you develop uh, a stimulate creative economy and in some cases about it's about kickstarting it yeah uh, but yeah
0: yeah you uh mentioned you know the continent and you were uh just recently in Ghana in Accra what was that experience like
1: that was amazing so it's all ghanaians uh thank you so much uh, for your hospitality. Oh, so I, so I'm, uh, so as I said, I'm from East Africa. I've never been in West. And one experience it was, uh, Ghana. Oh, all the Ghanaians, uh, listen, I can't explain how much <laughs> I loved you before, but I love you even more now after being <laughs> in your country. It's just, I was, listen, the way I was taken care of and the experience that I had, I just, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. I really enjoyed it. I was also really surprised to see the, the amount of, of, uh, people moving from Europe, the U.S. to back to Ghana. I see that also in Nigeria a lot. Mm-hmm. Like in West Africa, people are moving back a lot. I mean, whether they have roots, uh, in these countries or not, I see a lot of people, uh, predominantly black people coming back, uh, people of color moving back to, to the continent and, uh, doing great things. Mm-hmm. but then also i was fortunate enough to meet amazing talent talented people in the continent that was doing great things i mean uh, in ghana so no it was a it was an amazing experience um i was i was there to to for a project uh with a with a local business um really progressive you know it's uh it's a, it's a business that sort of was a family owned business been around for like, i think twelve or thirteen years so within that Big company. They they have two sort of three verticals sort of or three companies. One that focuses on security, one that focuses on uh, green energy, and one focused on um, logistics. Um, so yeah, it's just it was really inspiring to be there.
0: Yeah. I have heard so many good things about Ghana, about Accra hey. specifically, but about Ghana, I have heard so many good things from people visiting. I know people that. Have moved there. Like there's this this yeah. uh, <laughs> you've heard of the Brexit. There's this thing called the Blackxit. Blackxit. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm well aware of that.
0: <laughs> of people like, uh, specifically of like African Americans moving to Africa. And I, uh, this one person I know who moved there uh told me that the reason that she moved is that she went to visit. She had come back and visit about three or four times, and she said that when she was there, it didn't feel like she had to prove herself to like anyone else's standards there. Like in America, it can certainly, can certainly, especially if you live in a big city, it can be that way where so much of what we do is, is inevitably rooted in some level of competition because that's how like American exceptionalism just sort of thrives thanks to capitalism. But over there, it's like they say it just feels like a totally different. It's a totally different vibe. I, I want to go. I got to go. I'm putting that out there in the universe. I want to go. Yeah
1: yeah do please do it's uh, and listen i've i've been to five different countries in in and uh, the continent and and they're all beautiful and amazing in their own ways, but do you have a point there in terms of sort of like Ghana was interesting in the sense of like yeah it was it's very i mean all ev i feel like all of the African nations are very welcoming but like it's on another on another level mm-hmm. so i could see why there's a lot of people. They're often gonna, moving back, but then there's also people that are not Ghanaians that are moving there. They're just like, I just, I enjoy being here. I'm, I feel very welcome, And so, yeah, I could definitely see that. That's a beautiful place.
0: Yeah. So with all the travels that you've done, you know, for work throughout the world, you have this, I feel like you have this very unique perspective on where design and creativity is going in the future. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Like where you see it going? Um,
1: Dude, that's a that's a that's a tough one like i'm not a big one on, on trying to predict things but <laughs> i what i see though is like i mean i, I don't know I'm just this is it's just i just see design design used in different ways and i mean i myself uh, am a great example of that like i'm using i'm using the principle uh principles of design but as a sort of as an entrepreneur as a business owner um with my soft skills and not as uh, with hard skills uh, and I'm seeing it also being used uh i mean it, there's no secret that design the role of design has significantly uh, increased in terms of it, like its importance and its need. you know the last you know decade if not more um but I'm just seeing it also be more and more and more used for purposely uh, yeah. in different ways if that says anything but yeah that's That's my two cents on on that.
0: What advice would you give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps with what you've done?
1: I would say, I say this a lot, but I'll say this again. I, I would say, be naive enough to believe in yourself and your ideas. Be stubborn enough to see them through, but then also be smart enough to have a support system around you with people that have more experience than you, that could guide you and advise you um that those are those are the three things i would say are are the the key things and this is something i I live by myself so to emphasize really like the the things i just said now is very basic but like they could have a significant impact on your life i i I can't stress that and especially the last part and of having smart and more experienced people around you that could guide you and advise you i i I waited a bit long. I waited almost two and a half to three years into my journey with my business. But when I did it, it significantly changed things. I was learning things uh, on a much uh, faster pace and I was applying it. And, you know, my, yeah, it's just, it impacted our bottom line and everything. Like it's just, it was just, it was a crucial. But like what I would say though to that is also like, first and foremost, you need to figure out what are the areas of sort of, You know, skill set or domain that you're sort of missing in terms of knowledge and skill set within your business. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, you find profiles that fit that. But these profiles don't get it twisted. They have to be the Serena Williams of their domain. You're not looking for a middle management and like, yeah, I did that mistake first. I I took people that had interesting titles and were for interesting brands, but I realized that this is not type of people I need. First and foremost, some of these people haven't even, they they don't, they don't own their businesses. There are no, so they, you know, it's just to so do your due diligence. What are the areas that you need help with? Find those profiles and make sure that they are the Serena of their domain.
0: Where do you see yourself in the next like five years or so? What kind of work would you like to be doing?
1: I think what I know at this day, I, there's three things I know. I think I'm going to be, so up until now, so I've, 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 I've run this business, the power agents for three, seven years and I've had a previous business, um, for six years so so i've I've been independent uh for eleven years now oh sorry uh for uh, thirteen years, but all of that has been service focused consulting agency and whatnot so I would want to go into more product side and be a product owner and and uh, see that its journey uh, i know that I'm gonna be more in the continent i'm pretty sure, uh, confident about that um and I know I'm gonna have at least one if not two more businesses in the near future.
0: Well, just to kind of, you know, wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online?
1: Our website, co, And if not there, you can find me and my company on Twitter, Instagram. That's where I'm most active.
0: All right. Sounds good. Well, Abraham Asifo, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing I mean, one, for sharing about your business, because I feel like what you all are doing is so unique in the kind of creative space right now in terms of traveling and doing these things. It's like a kind of creative consultancy. Um, I feel like that is is something that is really I don't want to say it's the future, but certainly I think we're moving towards that, especially if we're looking at diversity in the industry and stuff, but also sharing just your background and how you're life has gotten to this point in terms of moving from different countries and, you know, starting, you know, maybe even a little bit later in life to going into the the creative field. I really feel like this is an interview that people are going to walk away from and get a lot of information. I think you dropped a lot of gems here. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Bless you. And thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and a real pleasure.
0: Thoughts of love And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Abraham Massifal, and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Abraham and his work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. Revision Path is a Glitch Media Network podcast and is produced by Deanna Testa and edited by Keisha TK Dutez. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. If you liked this episode, then let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes about a minute or so to do, and it really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. You can also find us on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on SoundCloud, pretty much anywhere you can find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.